Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, the 924th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we discussed the testimony Monday of one Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner, very good friend, and how the two of them were essentially gallivanting around the world, closing business deals on behalf of the fake president. It was the use your dad's illusion tour. And while Hunter's brand 
was selling his dad's power. That was the brand. Joe Biden, the Biden name, that was the brand. All of that was just an illusion. Hunter was actually just selling the illusion of access to, at the time, Vice President Joe Biden. Now, the testimony as it played out this week was breaking news for people who have not been paying attention to this situation over the last three plus years as it's developed. And to everyone else, it was a rerun. What's important is where the story fits into the narrative and where that narrative fits on a timeline, how these reruns are coming around and the point of belief we are at relative to each and every one of these events. And when I say we, I don't mean us or people on our side. I mean the collective understanding, the collective mindset about Joe Biden's corruption on a timeline, the relative understanding, the amount of understanding, the level of understanding we have reached on this story has increased to a level where you can assume that most of the country right now understands that Joe Biden is corrupt and always has been. And his son, Hunter, really was selling the family's name and political power around the world for vast sums of money. The stories that people have heard, that people have called lies and conspiracy theories just happen to be true in the real world. The underlying events happened a long time ago. The truth about those events has existed since those events occurred. The truth about those events has been known now by people close to the situation since those events have occurred and has been known generally in the public for people who are paying attention, listening and open to the possibility that these government officials actually are corrupt. Well, that's been known for years, but to the people who voted for Joe Biden and continue to support him, none of that is true. If they believe all of this now, then it was breaking news that everyone just found out about. But many of them have chosen among a number of proposed excuses, a worthwhile explanation for why they don't have to believe what everyone else now sees clearly to be true. What ultimately matters is understanding where we are on that timeline and how we are able to communicate with those we might come in contact with. We can see the advancement in the awakening based on how the collective consciousness, the collective mindset changes and expands as we see people's minds opening and awakening as they begin to accept the truth of realities that they would very likely prefer to avoid. And so if you're like me and you believe that the goal of all of this is that awakening process, it's people's minds opening to a lot of the things they never wanted to admit. We need to wake people up to the reality that our elections are rigged and stolen. Our vote is gone. We need people to understand that our fiat currency is manipulated to exploit us. And hopefully at some point, people will wake up in a spiritual way and begin to connect more to the world and to other people and to God eventually moving away from the allure of the rewards provided by the regime. We want people to stop responding to the incentive structure of the false reality in the party of false decorum. And when you understand that, you understand that this is ultimately a battle for belief. And that battle is fought with stories. The battle is fought with competing narratives. This is an information war in a very real way. 
and true information wins out over false information. So if your system of control is dependent on censorship and propaganda, when that all falls apart, when that fails, you're absolutely finished. And as we can see, that's failing. People are waking up and it's a lot slower than some people would like. But over the last few years, we have realized how much deeper this all goes and how pervasive the false reality really is. So let's take a second and think about the narrative operation over the past week or so in regard to the Biden family corruption. Hunter had his plea deal last week. They were going in. His attorneys had set up with the DOJ a plea deal where Hunter would plead guilty to these minor tax charges. They would have this diversion agreement for the gun charge. And because Hunter agrees to the terms, then all of the other stuff that Hunter was being investigated for, any other potential crimes found on the laptop or anywhere else, anything that intersects any issues in the statement of fact, Hunter's attorneys would be filing on his behalf as part of that plea deal. All of that would go away forever. He couldn't ever be charged for any of those things. It would be presented to the public as Hunter Biden has agreed to this plea deal on these charges. He admits wrongdoing on this and this and this, and the government has agreed not to prosecute any of these other charges. It would be presented as because they don't have the evidence. They had evidence for this stuff. Hunter admitted to it. This is it. This is what we're getting. That was the expectation in that plea deal. It would all be over after that. Except then we were told that someone from Hunter's attorney's office called the court clerk, asked for documents to be taken down, misrepresented herself as someone from another law firm, and that created a big mess. And then the next day, the judge actually went through that plea agreement with the attorneys in court and the whole thing fell apart. Over the weekend, we get a report about a DOJ letter saying that they are scheduling the coming imprisonment of Devin Archer, and it was reported that the DOJ submitted this letter in order to intimidate Archer in his testimony. All the while, this is all getting fact-checked and the media is running cover for all of it. Finally, Archer wanders in with a big grin on his face, gives his testimony. We get all the breaking news. And despite the strange defenses and excuses from media and Democratic Communist Party members, people on social media, people in the Biden administration, etc., the country is now understanding that Joe Biden really is very, very corrupt. Now, while that narrative is going on about Joe Biden's corruption, Donald Trump is being pursued for more indictments. There was the superseding indictment last week from Jack Smith about the documents case in Mar-a-Lago. Another one of Trump's Mar-a-Lago employees is being accused of moving boxes with all this national security documentation. And then they were all arranging a way for the security footage to be deleted. And it doesn't seem that it is deleted, but the whole thing is fake anyway. And by the way, Donald Trump says in no uncertain terms that it's fake. People just assume always that Donald Trump is joking, doesn't know what he's talking about, or just speaking in a reckless manner and not telling the blatant, obvious truth. 
But here's Donald Trump saying it. Um, so do you think these indictments have hurt you at all? Because it seems like every time it happens, your numbers go up. Well, they're fake. And uh, people understand that we have we've done a great job. And a lot of it is, as you say, we've done things that they don't want. Is a radical, but it's saving kids. What you've done—that's yeah, what I don't understand. We've, we've done that, but we've done a lot of other things, and <laughs> having to do many things. Some people don't like to see that. It's hard to believe, which means probably they just don't want to see our country be great again. Uh, we have a very simple phrase: "Make America great again." Now, is he saying that the indictments are fake? Well, yeah, he is saying that. And are the indictments fake? Well, you can make a pretty good argument that they are. Yes. In a year from now, what will people believe? Well, there's a strong chance people will believe that these indictments are fake. Because once people actually examine the evidence supporting these indictments, the rationality of these indictments, the legal case for these indictments, and any possible story about Trump's guilt relative to these indictments, people will have no option but to think, yeah, that whole thing was totally fake. But you can't say it now, otherwise you're risking your credibility people who don't know anything about this case or any of the others. They don't believe it's possible that the media could just have all of these stories about these indictments if the indictments themselves aren't real and aren't based on real things. Except Donald Trump announced all of these indictments himself. He announced the Mar-a-Lago raid. He announced the target letter. He announced that they would be adding on to the indictments. And everybody expects more Jack Smith related indictments to the January 6th stuff, the recommendations from that sham January 6th committee, that improperly formed January 6th committee in violation of the congressional rules, those submissions to the Department of Justice, he's going to be indicted on all that stuff. That's fake. Fannie Willis down in Georgia is trying to drum up an indictment about Trump's phone call where he was talking to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger with a bunch of attorneys on the line talking about how they needed to find the votes because there were all these different sorts of fraud in the Georgia elections that Trump could point to. We're told that was some sort of conspiracy to overthrow the country. The alternate slates of electors were somehow illegal, even though they weren't. The quest for access to the machines was part of this conspiracy. Donald Trump organized the whole thing, dragged all these people into it, and now he's going to be indicted for these grave crimes against the country. Except all of it is fake. It doesn't matter if corrupt Justice Department officials or local DAs or state attorneys general bring up these charges. It doesn't matter that the indictment itself is in some sense real that they have filed it. These are all narrative exploitations to make Donald Trump look like a criminal so that he will be seen as unelectable. These may be real annoyances to Donald Trump, but they don't represent real legal problems that are going to put Donald Trump in prison or make it so that he can't be president at the end of next year. But that's what they're used for. That's how they're being portrayed. He said they're fake on some level that is absolutely correct. It just depends how you want to define fake. So we have the Hunter Biden narrative bringing out not only proof of Joe Biden's corruption and his involvement in Hunter's shady foreign business dealings. It also brings out the two tiered system of justice. We see that the DOJ is willing to manipulate things, willing to give Hunter, a very easy plea bargain. Hunter's attorneys try to trick the court. 
nobody really ever gets in trouble. We have Devin Archer testifying and the media and Democrat politicians running cover for him. So the two tiered system of justice is on display on that side. And then it's on display on the Trump side as they tell us the walls are closing in again. The get Trump effort is there in full swing. And so we have those two competing narratives. And then also this week, there is a resurgence of the John Durham report and that narrative and everything surrounding Russiagate. Another example of the system trying to destroy Donald Trump and no one being held accountable. Last week, I shared a Twitter thread from the candidate for Missouri Attorney General Will Scharf. He was on with Lou Dobbs yesterday, Tuesday, and there was a whole segment where they discussed the John Durham report. He said he was waiting for the classified appendix to the John Durham report. There is more information from John Durham that the public does not know yet. Now, is that random? And Will Scharf just really likes the whole John Durham thing? I suppose that's possible, but it doesn't seem like it because amidst all of these narrative moves and these reruns that we are seeing, as the public begins to understand that our justice system favors one side over the other, it favors the regime in all circumstances. It's not that it favors Democrats over Republicans, although occasionally that's true. It favors the regime priorities against anything that threatens the regime priorities. They want their version of the Constitution, their version of the legal system to be preserved, to win the day. Anyone who attempts to threaten that by increasing their own power must then be destroyed. And that's exactly what the Russiagate issue was used for. Donald Trump penned his own op-ed this week for Newsweek. This was released on Monday. The real victim of the Russiagate hoax wasn't me. It was the American people. The report by special counsel John Durham makes clear beyond a shred of doubt that the Russia hoax was the most atrocious weaponization of our government in American history. It was a crime like no other. Seven years ago, I ran for office, taking on all the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests in our nation's capital. My agenda was an existential threat to a Washington establishment that got rich and powerful, bleeding America dry. I vowed to stop mass illegal immigration, terminate globalist trade deals, and end the sellout of our country to communist China, stand up to the permanent bureaucracy and the corporate media, and break the neocon addiction to endless foreign wars. The neocons are not your friends. They are also not in any important sense conservative. Neoconservatism is downstream intellectually from Trotsky. This is just the global regime wearing conservatism as a skin suit. It is shocking that they ever achieved power in the Republican Party. But then again, the regime is very effective at infiltration. And since they don't have any principles, it's not difficult for them to represent various political ideologies in order to attain more power. Trump writes, in response, an unelected cabal in the senior ranks of our government, in concert with their chosen candidate, Hillary Clinton, and their allies in the media, launched the de facto coup attempt known as the Russia hoax. Their goal was to prevent my election and, failing that, to throw me out of office or sabotage my presidency, 
undercut my agenda in Congress, block my domestic reforms, and interfere with my foreign policy. For nearly three years, they carried out a massive disinformation campaign and lawless persecution based on the monstrous lie that I was a traitor to my country. And he's right. That is a monstrous lie. Think about what they did to a duly elected president of the United States of America. Donald Trump was duly elected. He did not steal that win. He is not Joe Biden. He is not a servant of the regime. They didn't fire up the election fraud apparatus so that Donald Trump could beat Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump actually defeated their efforts to block him by using that system. In a normal situation, we would see clearly that this was an attempted coup and that that coup attempt never actually stopped. It continued all the way through his presidency and afterward. They are still trying to destroy and undermine him to this day, which is why they're doing all of this. He says quite often, and it's indisputably true, that if he was no longer involved in politics, if he just went back to Mar-a-Lago to play golf, none of this would be happening. He would not be facing these indictments. It's basically impossible to argue otherwise. Trump continues, these deep state plotters spied on my campaign. They forged false evidence to get illegal surveillance warrants and smear innocent people through leaks to the media. They offered $1 million for a fictitious dossier written by a foreign spy to try to frame me with treason. They shattered countless lives. The Durham report proves that the key figures involved knew from the start that the Russia collusion conspiracy theory was a lie. The FBI launched their witch hunt without a scrap of legitimate evidence. And when they came upon exonerating information time after time, they covered it up and kept the hoax going forward. And that's not only true of Russiagate, by the way, that was true of the first impeachment hoax. The FBI had the Biden laptop at that point. They knew that there was exculpatory evidence on that laptop and Donald Trump was impeached anyway. None of the evidence from that laptop made it into that impeachment hearing. The entire cause for that impeachment was refuted by the evidence on the laptop. They all knew about it. It went forward anyway. Trump continues. The sickness was driven from the very top. FBI Director James Comey constantly pressured agents for more surveillance and warrants, demanding to know over and over, where is the FISA? Where is the FISA? Barack Obama and Joe Biden were in on it, too. They were briefed in August 2016 on reports that Clinton plans to, quote, vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security services. The Obama administration knew that the Clinton campaign was generating the Russiagate hoax and they didn't do a thing about it. The FBI, the DOJ, the CIA all had knowledge of this. No one alerted the American people. Instead, we were led to believe that Donald Trump actually did all of this bad stuff that he is being accused of doing. The media pushed all of it, and they used this to try to rig and steal the 2016 election. Anything to keep Donald Trump out of power. Just like 2020, we get the Ukraine impeachment hoax, we get COVID, we get mail-in ballots and all of that. We get the summer of love with BLM Antifa, domestic terrorists attacking our cities, and then we get a stolen election all to keep Donald Trump out of power. 
They wanted to hammer that point home to the American people. So we had the very violent insurrection. Now we have had this disastrous fake presidency, watch the country fall apart, and they are trying to indict Trump and imprison Trump because they need to interfere with the election in 2024 as well. That's three elections in a row that they are attempting to compromise and steal. And we're pretending that we're just in some sort of normal political environment where we can just analyze the primary states and the swing states and talk about all of this dorky political nonsense that we can see is entirely irrelevant in a situation like this. Trump says they knew the truth, yet they put our country through hell as savage and cruel as the Russia hoax was for me, my family, my staff, and so many innocent bystanders. The real victims were the American people. The destruction this hoax caused to America is almost incalculable. It subverted our democracy. It threatened our security and it endangered our freedom at a critical moment when we should have been reducing tensions with Russia. The Russia hoax stoked mass hysteria that helped drive Russia straight into the arms of China. Instead of having a better relationship with Russia, as I worked to build, now we have a proxy war with Russia fueled in part by the lingering fumes of Russiagate delirium. Ukraine has been utterly devastated. Untold numbers of people have been killed and we could very well end up in World War Three. As the Twitter files have proven, the radical left establishment also used the Russia hoax to attack freedom of speech. They built a sprawling domestic censorship regime under the guise of combating so-called Russian disinformation, which they quickly defined to include any content they did not like. And I love how he calls it a censorship regime. That is exactly what it is. The intelligence community, the media and Silicon Valley tech companies then deployed this very pretext, Russian disinformation, to censor the Biden corruption scandal in 2020. Censorship orchestrated, as we now know, by the Biden campaign. In one poll last year, 79% of Americans following the story about Hunter Biden's sorted laptop said truthful coverage of that wrongly censored story would have changed the outcome of the election. Our country is now paying a very steep price. Perhaps most dangerous of all, the Russia hoax normalized the weaponization of law enforcement against the left's political enemies. The radical Democrats and their media partners now cheer as Biden's DOJ demands the FBI investigate parents at school board meetings, deploys heavily armed teams to arrest pro-life activists, and pursues an all-out persecution of Joe Biden's leading opponent for the presidency. These corrupted agencies have interfered in every election since 2016, and they are interfering in the 2024 election before our very eyes. There must be a reckoning. Accountability now lies in the hands of the voters. The Durham report has made the stakes abundantly clear, and now the choice is ours. Either the deep state destroys America, or we destroy the deep state. So he starts and he ends with the Durham report. We hear Will Scharf talking about the Durham report. Now, is my pattern recognition tuned a bit too high on this? I guess we'll see. Maybe we won't hear anything about the Durham report for another two months, but I would expect we will begin to hear more and maybe specifically about that classified appendix within the next week or two. And if we don't, all good. I got this one wrong. It might not be that serious. They might just be pointing out 
at an opportune moment within these conflicting narratives about the two-tiered system of justice, that it's not just these Trump indictments and the Hunter Biden stuff. This two-tiered system of justice has been around for a while. It's been active for a while. We can look back to the very beginning of this whole period and see that it was present and active back then. The narrative play here is crystal clear. The public is realizing that Joe Biden is corrupt. Therefore, the proper response is not only is Joe Biden corrupt, the people around Joe Biden and protecting Joe Biden are corrupt. In fact, they are the very people who are using that same two tiered system of justice to go after the duly elected president, Donald J. Trump. Imagine connecting all of that for the first time as you see the proof that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were absolutely selling Joe Biden's political power as vice president and senator long before that. That will not be a particularly happy awakening, but it's incredibly effective for us. These are the sorts of jarring and unavoidable events that the public must begin to understand. And at the point they begin to understand those things, that's when you layer in all of the stuff that is connected to it. They are learning the lesson about the two-tiered system of justice. And then you layer on and you say, hey, I see that you're understanding that the justice system in our country has been protecting these corrupt Bidens to the point where the public was deceived about this corruption through a massive censorship and propaganda campaign prior to the 2020 election, which in some sense is what allowed Joe Biden to quote unquote win that 2020 election. And it's great that you finally understand that. But guess what else? Those same people are going after Trump and they've been going after him for a long time. Here's this story. Here's this story. Here's this story. We've been trying to tell you for years and years now. I'm glad to see that your eyes are finally opening. Now, if you want to claim that all of that is coincidence and this is just timing and me and people like me are layering on this pattern recognition all of that is actually nothing. These events are disparate. They are not connected. One is not influencing the other. There is nothing strategic about the timing. This is not part of a greater narrative rollout, a narrative operation and a plan. Well, okay, believe whatever you like. It's just an odd claim to make while knowing that the other side's whole game is censorship and propaganda in order to coerce belief among the general public. It is what they do. It is what they have always done. To contest that, you have to have your own narrative operation. Even if it's just understanding the strategic time to hit people with stories, that is enough of a plan. And that's the plan that's being executed. Donald Trump himself wrote this op-ed and published it in Newsweek on Monday. He's the one who's inserting the Russiagate hoax back into the narrative and the John Durham report back into the narrative. And usually when you can see a narrative act play out like this so blatantly, so obviously a narrative act, then you can understand that it is seeding a forthcoming narrative move. And that's why I say that we should expect something more in the future. We might not see it. Maybe this is just a convenient reminder to say, hey, everybody, you can see that the Bidens are corrupt, but you got to understand it's those corrupt people going after Trump. Hey, 
Maybe that's all it is. Now, changing subjects without a segue, let's get into a little geopolitics. We have talked extensively over the last couple years about how we can see the same playbook playing out all over the world with slight variations and along different timelines, different countries going through generally the same things at different times with slight variations. We can see the same stories being told by the media. In one case, it might be a social justice protest as it was here in 2020 or in Taiwan's sunflower revolution. In other places, it is mass immigration. In other places, it's terrorism. They destabilize the country. They use distraction and chaos to steal elections because they've implemented different versions of the same election system in countries all around the world, wherever they're able to achieve enough power through infiltration. Once you take over the elections, you can just use the uniparty model that we see here in the United States to make sure that only candidates who support the regime agenda are ever elected again. We see this happening over and over and over around the world. And I think it's important to focus on this stuff for a couple reasons. First, that you can see the machinations of the global regime and how orchestrated all of this is, how controlled by them all of this is. The political outcomes of other countries are not the organic product of the desires of the citizens of those countries. Just as it is here, their rulers are chosen for them. And every time they successfully install a new batch of rulers, those rulers work to further solidify the system in that country in the regime's favor. It makes it really easy to see the regime's connections and the centralization of all of this planning. We see regime-controlled countries jump in to try to help the situation and preserve these regime proxy states. They are going, obviously, a lot further to defend the Ukraine thing than they are in some of these other countries. But beyond all that, it's also important to focus on these things because as we watch these situations develop, we can see the progress of this movement pushing back against that global regime. And we can see successes achieved even in these small countries, like Myanmar, and like one of my favorites, Burkina Faso, which is back in the news. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But let's start with Niger, where there is a reported coup. This whole narrative kicked off last week. And let's get the official story from NPR. This is from the 27th of July. Here's why Niger's coup matters to the U.S. Not here's what's happening. It's Here, child brains, this is what to think about this African nation you knew nothing about just minutes ago. This week's coup in Niger has set off frantic diplomacy, with Secretary of State Antony Blinken warning that the U.S. partnership with the country depends on, quote, democratic governance and respect for the rule of law. Oh, no. If they don't put that government back in there, the U.S. might no longer be partners with Niger. Niger is vital to U.S. counterterrorism efforts in Africa. Isn't that amazing? 
We need to control Niger. Otherwise, there's going to be the existential threat of terrorism hanging over everyone's head, just like it was in 2021 when there were all those domestic terrorists, you know, those parents showing up at school board meetings. It's one of the few countries in the region that has agreed to house U.S. drone bases and hundreds of American special forces and logistics experts who are involved in counterterrorism operations against Boko Haram and ISIS affiliates. Now, Trump basically knocked out ISIS completely. So we've reverted to ISIS affiliates. They get to use the ISIS brand without actually being ISIS. But it's scary to you, so that works. And of course, Boko Haram was who took our girls. Remember when Michelle Obama started that big campaign, that hashtag activism campaign online, bring back our girls? Well, that was Boko Haram who took them. And if we don't keep control over Niger, we're not going to be able to fight Boko Haram and ISIS. And that means, I guess, really bad things somehow. We got to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here or something like that. Because if they come here, ooh, that might pose an existential threat. Will they come here? No, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. But it's only an existential threat if we hint that it might. In 2017, four U.S. Army Special Operations soldiers were killed in an ISIS ambush. France also maintains a large military presence in Niger. Well, that's cool that those are the only two sentences in this paragraph and they don't have anything to do with one another. Nice writing. I guess the point here is that the U.S. and France have large military presences in this African nation for some reason, you know, to stop terrorism. And no, we're not stripping them of their resources and exploiting another African nation. We're just stopping terrorism. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres warns that there has been a dramatic increase in terrorist activity in Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger and notes that now there have been military coups in all three. But wait a second. Burkina Faso's military coup was to depose an illegitimate president elected through election fraud. And we've covered that fairly extensively. The same thing happened in Myanmar when they deposed Suu Kyi, the ally of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton and George Soros. Mali has dealt with their own election fraud issues. You can always Go to any search engine, even the censored and manipulated ones like Google and DuckDuckGo and type in the name of a country, claims, election fraud, Reuters, and see what you get. You will get a different version of the same story every time, exactly as I described it before. And then if the military goes in to depose the illegitimate leader, it is called by these globalists a coup. We are told democracy is being upended and abandoned in favor of this coup, this military junta. And it's worth remembering, by the way, that the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who's telling us right now about all these coups, last week told us that the period of global warming had ended, and now we have entered the era of global boiling. 
The whole belt south of the Sahara is becoming an extremely problematic area, Guterres said Thursday, urging coup leaders to immediately release Niger's president, Mohamed Bazoum, who is effectively being held hostage by members of the presidential guard, effectively is doing a lot of work in that scenario. Imagine how this story would look in the propaganda media outlets of the global regime state. If this situation was in the United States, if the military deposed Joe Biden because he is illegitimate and did not win the 2020 election, there's no way in the world he got 81 million real lawful American votes. The global propaganda media would say that the military was staging a coup and that Joe Biden, the criminal and usurper, was being held hostage. So you have to keep their perspective in mind while reading this reporting. The U.S. is also backing Bazoom and calling for his release, though Blinken has stopped short of formally calling this week's military takeover a coup. Doing so would require the U.S. to cut aid. Instead, Blinken is calling it, quote, an effort to seize power by force and to disrupt the Constitution. When Blinken visited Niger in March, becoming the first secretary of state to do so, he announced $150 million in new economic aid and praised Bazoum's government for countering violent extremism with demobilization, disarmament, and reintegration programs. So Antony Blinken goes over to Niger and gives Bazoum $150 million in foreign aid, as if our aid going to Another regime proxy state in Ukraine was not enough money. He goes over and injects $150 million to support this now deposed global regime puppet president in Niger. Blinken told the French news outlet AFP that this was a partnership, quote, we deeply value and deeply appreciate, end quote, one that also benefits Niger. The work that we can do to combat terrorist groups, extremist groups, ultimately will be to the benefit of others. And they call anyone who challenges regime power an extremist or a terrorist. So what does it mean when Antony Blinken is describing extremist groups and terrorist groups? The challenge now for the U.S. is to ensure that Niger continues to be a partner in counterterrorism efforts and does not turn to the Russian mercenary group Wagner for security assistance, as others in the region have. Everywhere Wagner goes, Blinken said in March, bad things tend to follow. So that is a very enlightening description, despite being from the state propaganda media. The U.S. is supporting this now deposed leader. The U.S.'s interest in Niger is ostensibly stopping terrorism. And of course, that makes absolutely no sense. In order to continue propping up that now deposed leader, Antony Blinken traveled to Niger in March to take $150 million. The first time a U.S. Secretary of State has gone over there, and it didn't work. Zero Hedge covered this on Friday of last week, the 28th of July. The article is entitled U.S. Forces in Niger Assessing the Situation After Coup. A group of soldiers appeared on TV Wednesday saying that they ousted Bazoum, who was democratically elected in 2021. 
The defense and security forces have decided to put an end to the regime you are familiar with, said Major Colonel Amadou Abdramane, spokesman for the group that took power, which calls itself the National Council for the Safeguard of the Homeland. The following day, Niger's military released a statement saying that it supported the coup. The military command of the Nigerian armed forces has decided to subscribe to the declaration by the defense and security forces in order to avoid a deadly confrontation between the various forces, said in a statement signed by Niger's armed forces chief of staff, General Abdu Sidiku Issa. The U.S. condemned the military takeover and is backing Bazoum but has stopped short of formally calling it a coup as that would require cutting off aid to the country. And I guess if you do that, you can't support that democratically elected leader any longer. It's worth noting how incredible it is that the words democratically elected now essentially just mean the regime installed that guy. Secretary of State Antony Blinken did warn that the U.S. partnership with the country depends on, quote, democratic governance and respect for the rule of law, <laughs> just like here. The U.S. has a significant military presence in Niger with at least 1,016 troops in the country. The U.S. constructed a major drone base in Niger, Air Base 201, which houses armed MQ-9 Reaper drones and supports U.S. counterterrorism operations across Africa. And sure, that's all it does. The U.S. counterterrorism mission in Africa has been a complete failure. Writing for The Intercept, total regime outlet, by the way. Journalist Nick Terse explained that in 2002 and 2003, the first years of U.S. counterterrorism assistance to Niger, the State Department counted just nine terrorist attacks in all of Africa. Last year, the number of violent events in Burkina Faso, Mali, and western Niger alone reached 2,737, according to a report by the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, a Defense Department research institution. This represents a jump of more than 30,000% since the U.S. began its counterterrorism efforts, Terse wrote. So you could explain that as a complete failure of the U.S. military to actually stop terrorism in Africa, as this writer from The Intercept sees it. Or you can think, what else might that mean? Could they have changed the methods of reporting to make the terrorism problem look much bigger than it is in order to warrant continued presence in that region and continued funding for these global regime installed administrations? Or could they actually be battling against the sovereign uprising that looks to take control of these countries back for the people of these countries away from the global regime? Maybe they just don't want the U.S. there, no matter how much terrorism they're fighting. In a separate article, also from Zero Hedge, this one on Monday, the 31st, Niger suspends uranium and gold exports amid rumors of imminent French military intervention. Last week's coup in Niger is already fast becoming an internationalized conflict situation as the West African nation's former colonial ruler, France, has denounced and condemned the junta while urging that ousted President Mohamed Bazoum be immediately reinstated. Coup supporters are now attacking diplomatic locations and French interests, including the French embassy in the capital of Niamey, 
Bazoom is reportedly in good health following the harrowing events days ago when he was taken captive by his own presidential guard. Interestingly, the very rationale of those who overthrew his democratically elected government merely two years in centers on geopolitical matters. Growing jihadi violence has become a major issue, and he's been severely criticized for failing to secure the nation and the safety of the population. But others say that's just a pretext for what was an internal power struggle and military machinations. Currently, there are emerging reports in Mideast Africa regional sources that Niger, under the junta, has suspended all exports of uranium and gold to France. Financial Times is confirming the junta has continued to step up anti-French rhetoric. It announced it was suspending the export of uranium to France with immediate effect. Niger is the world's seventh largest producer of uranium and France, which relies on nuclear energy for 75% of its power, is a significant importer. The article also goes on to note that Colonel Amadou Abdramane, who is among the coup leaders and a spokesman, has alleged that Niger's foreign minister had signed a legal order which authorizes external French military intervention to restore political stability. There are even allegations of French forces preparing a missile attack on the presidential palace. France has neither confirmed nor denied that the exiled Bazoum government requested this, however. So the idea here is that members of the deposed government had already requested and authorized France's military intervention. And that would be protecting them from what they are describing as this coup. Zero Hedge also notes that Niger has long been a major operating hub for French special forces with some 1500 French troops in the country. And there are reports all around of the coup supporters in the streets waving Russian flags and welcoming the Wagner group from nearby Mali. You might remember a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, talking about the development of the relationship between the BRICS coalition and all of these African nations, the coalition of African nations meeting with Vladimir Putin, talking about peace in Ukraine, discussing potential BRICS partnership. Russia is becoming a massive dominant force in Africa. Russia is forming alliances with these countries, and the expectation is that Russia will be protecting these countries and their sovereignty as they separate from this global regime. Now, if you don't see that this is happening in the world, hey, okay, but if that's your position, then you are going to believe that Vladimir Putin is a very brutal dictator. He's very evil. Look at this invasion in Ukraine. All that nonsense. And you'll think that it's very dangerous that Vladimir Putin and Russia are forming these new alliances with these African nations. We have been conditioned to believe that this is one of the most dangerous scenarios possible for the United States of America. We never want Russia to ever get to that point where they have their presence extended to these African nations. But if you understand this good twin, evil twin dynamic, if you understand the global regime supporting this one world global government, this borderless world where there are no sovereign countries, and you understand that that regime is trying to make sure that this sovereign alliance that is building throughout the world in order to contest that, then Russia's role here 
looks entirely different. These countries are reclaiming their sovereignty from the global regime, and Russia is standing by to guarantee their security as they do it. For all our lives, this is what we were told the United States military was doing around the world, and we find out that that's not what they were doing. Our good, faithful soldiers were sent on these missions all around the world using the justification of terrorism or supporting democracies, etc. And the entire time, the global regime was just tightening its grip on these various regions of the world, these various countries, so that they could extract and exploit the labor and the natural resources, among who knows how many other priorities. For instance, the opium trade in Afghanistan or the drug and human trafficking and the bioweapons research in Ukraine. It begins to look a whole lot like all the foreign aid we send these other countries goes there to support organizations that support the global regime's presence in those countries. This is what's actually being done in our name in the realm of foreign policy. Now, we talked about France's stake in Niger. It is reported that Emmanuel Macron strongly condemned the ongoing coup in Niger, calling it perfectly illegitimate. The quote is, this coup d'etat is perfectly illegitimate and profoundly dangerous for the Nigerians, for Niger, and for the entire region. So Macron says the coup is dangerous. Now, we have discussed over the past few weeks that Macron seems to have potentially had his strings cut by the global regime. He is at least flirting with the idea of BRICS. He was opposed to a NATO office in Japan. And for all of that stuff, he was rewarded with his own color revolution in France, a big riot movement there, and an obviously contrived hashtag campaign, France has fallen. They basically tried to cancel Emmanuel Macron using French foreign policy and the lives of French citizens as cannon fodder. There are reports in RT and elsewhere that France was planning potential strikes in Niger, following on about the reporting of the potential foreign minister of Bazoum's administration authorizing the French to come in with military action. The headline in RT, France planning strikes to free ousted president, Niger Junta says, Niger's deposed government has authorized France to conduct strikes on the presidential palace in order to release President Mohamed Bazoum, the military junta that seized power last week, claimed on Monday. The junta had earlier warned against foreign attempts to free Bazoum, who has been held hostage at the palace since Wednesday when the putsch took place. In a statement on Monday, Colonel Amadou Abdramane, one of the coup leaders, claimed that France, an ally of the country and fighting jihadist insurgencies, has been seeking a means to intervene militarily in the situation. France, with the complicity of certain Nigerians, held a meeting at the general staff of the National Guard of Niger to obtain necessary political and military authorizations, Abdramane stated. There have been some reports from people who track military flight patterns that France has flown routes to and over Niger. So we will see if anything happens along those lines. I kind of don't think it will, but that is just a hunch. 
Macron said on Sunday that attacks on France and its interests in the West African country would not be tolerated and would be met with an immediate response. Paris announced on Saturday that it had suspended with, quote, immediate effect all its development aid and budget support actions in Niger. So France has stopped giving Niger money. That is their immediate action. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, a 15-member regional bloc, has imposed economic and financial sanctions and warned that if Niger's coup leaders do not reinstate Bazoum within seven days, it will authorize the use of force. France said it welcomes the decisions taken by the ECOWAS head of state for an immediate return to the constitutional order in Niger under President Mohamed Bazoum. So they are trying to increase the pressure on the new leadership in Niger. They are attempting economic and financial sanctions that did not work at all in the Russia-Ukraine situation. It will not work here. And it is almost definitely some sort of narrative cover as these countries very likely move toward BRICS. These do not sound like significant threats. It's just the global regime taking its ball, and by ball I mean money, and going home. Now, while France is making threats and these other global aligned African nations are threatening economic sanctions, other countries in the region are coming to Niger's defense, taking the side of the new leadership after deposing the globalist-aligned president, Bazoum. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Russia and Iran may eye Niger as possible inroad against the United States in Africa. So this is being framed as a proxy war between Russia and the U.S. in Africa when it is really a proxy war between the sovereign alliance and the global regime in Africa. In this case, as in many cases, the global regime is just branded as the United States or the West. Reports that Burkina Faso and Mali will consider any military intervention in Niger as a declaration of war against them are being read in Russia. The reports have made their way to Russian state media TASS. Pro-Iran media Al-Mayadeen is also reporting on Niger and there appears to be a kind of trend developing. Russia and Iran want to use Niger as a symbol of the U.S. and European decline in Africa. Reports point out that Niger was important for the U.S. role in West Africa and the Sahel. There was a drone base and other operations. Now after the coup in Niger, the U.S., France and others are being cautious. Any military intervention against Niger would be considered as a declaration of war against Burkina Faso and Mali. A statement reads, TASS notes that, quote, on the evening of July 26th, the rebels announced on national television the ousting of President Mohamed Bazoum, the closure of the republic's borders, a curfew, the suspension of the Constitution, and a ban on the activity of political parties. As noted earlier, the new regime in Niger has been given a week to leave and restore power to Bazoum or else they're going to face these sanctions and whatever else they can be threatened with. Are they going to give it back? Well, no, there's no way they're going to do that. Even the suggestion is ridiculous. So we will just have to wait and see what the reaction is from these other countries. 
I would guess that that'll be a complete and total failure for the global regime. It'll be yet another embarrassment in the eyes of anyone who is paying attention to the big picture here. And all of these threats will ultimately amount to very little. The list of neighboring African nations to declare their support for Niger now includes Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali, and Libya. And so with the inclusion of those countries, they essentially have a land bridge from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Atlantic, going from Libya through Niger, through Burkina Faso or Mali, all the way down to Guinea, which gets them all the way down to the coast. That is a pretty sizable swath of territory from Northern Africa to Western Africa. Now, Burkina Faso, who we've talked about many times because they seem to have been rather successful in throwing off the shackles of the global regime. Jackson Hinkle has been discussing this on Twitter. He shows video from Burkina Faso of a mass rally and march of people in support of the president of Burkina Faso, Ibrahim Traore. They have declared their allegiance in this effort with Niger. The president is pictured shaking hands with none other than Vladimir Putin. And it is reported that he has expelled French troops from his country as well. Now, is this all breaking news or has the plan been to get rid of French troops? And this is just how it's being reported to us. Perhaps that's why the regime has been so mad at Emmanuel Macron that they would launch color revolutions at him. Traore was just recently interviewed by the Russian outlet Sputnik. He says, I saw in the media that the Ukrainian president himself had dismissed some of his relatives for acts of corruption on military equipment delivered. It means that it is not controlled and it is found on the African continent, he explained. Terrorists pay for equipment everywhere, especially in conflict zones, because there are arms traffickers. So that only aggravates the extent of our conflicts on the spot as well. We therefore find it very dangerous to dump these weapons in an uncontrolled way because they end up in the hands of the enemies who kill our people. He goes on to say, we are at war against terrorism and we are more concerned about our war. What we only deplore is that weapons intended for Ukraine end up on our continent and continue to activate our war. And isn't that interesting? All of that money and all of those weapons that go over to Ukraine, the billions and billions of dollars that all that costs, we are continuously told they don't know where it's going to end up. They refuse to actually do an audit and account for all of that money and all of that equipment. We know it ends up in the hands of arms dealers. We know it doesn't reach the battlefield in Ukraine. And it turns out that it does reach battlefields in Africa. And at the same time, we see Antony Blinken taking these African nations, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to support their global regime aligned leaders. There's video going around of Ibrahim Traore, the president of Burkina Faso. And here's what he has to say. It's subtitled, so I'm just going to read the subtitles. You can see this video for yourself. It is in the info stream. If you search Burkina Faso, you can also find it on Twitter. Now X at 
Spriter team, S-P-R-I-T-E-R team posted on Monday, July 31st. He says, we feel like family. Russia is family for Africa too. We are a family because we have the same history. Russia made enormous sacrifices to free the world from Nazism during World War II. The African people, our grandfathers, were also forcibly deported to help Europe get rid of Nazism. And forcibly deported is quite a phrase. We share the same history in the sense that we are the forgotten peoples of the world, whether in the history books or in documentaries or films. We tend to dismiss the key role played by Russia and Africa in the fight against Nazism. As far as what concerns Burkina Faso today, for more than eight years, we've been confronted with the most barbaric, the most violent form of neocolonialism, of imperialism. Slavery continues to impose itself on us. Our predecessors taught us one thing. The slave who cannot carry out his own revolt doesn't deserve to be pitied. And that there is quite a statement. We do not feel sorry for ourselves. We do not ask anyone to feel sorry for us. The people of Burkina Faso have decided to fight, to fight against terrorism in order to relaunch their own development. In this struggle, valiant peoples from 20 populations have pledged to take up arms in the face of terrorism. This we affectionately call the VDP of volunteers. We are surprised to see the imperialists calling these VDPs militias and all kinds of things. It's disappointing because in Europe, when people take up arms to defend their homeland, they are treated as patriots. But that's not the problem. The problem are African heads of state who contribute nothing to these people who are fighting, but who sing the same song as the imperialists calling us militias, calling us men who don't respect human rights. Which human rights are we talking about? We take offense at this. It is shameful. We African heads of state must stop behaving like puppets who dance every time the imperialists pull the string. Yesterday, President Vladimir Putin announced that he would be sending grain to Africa. We are very pleased. We thank him for that. But it's also a message to our African heads of state Because at the next forum, we cannot come here without ensuring, for those who are not familiar with war, that our people are self-sufficient in food. We need to take those experiences, those who have already achieved this in Africa, build good relationships here, and build better relationships with the Russian Federation so that we can meet the needs of our people. Glory to our peoples, he says, dignity to our peoples, victory to our peoples, homeland or death, we shall win. So that lays out the case right there pretty well. That is a building alliance of African nations with legitimate complaints, real world reality based complaints against the global regime who they claim is still enslaving African nations after all this time. We were told that slavery in the world has ended. I'm told that I put my credibility at stake every time I call our system of illegal immigration here and around the world carried out by the global regime a slave trade. But how much has really changed if this is where the countries of Africa still are in relation to the countries of Europe and to these United States of America? 
What, from their perspective, is different? It's the same global regime. It's the same slavery. It's the same African nations. It's possible to do all of this if you are the global regime. Once you are able to impoverish countries, cut off their agriculture, cut off their food supplies, well, then they have to do whatever you say. And corrupt leaders will rise up rather than to resist those evil forces, to make deals with them so that they personally can become more powerful. And the corrupt and evil system of exploitation marches on. These countries are aligning not only with one another, but with Russia. They are aligning with BRICS, which puts them in alignment with Brazil, India, China, and South Africa. And that alliance will continue to expand. This is more than half the world's population right now aligning with not only these nations, but a future currency that is meant to remove them completely from the system of domination held over their heads by the global bankers and their regime fiat money as currently branded the U.S. dollar. Now, if these small nations like Burkina Faso, like Niger, like Myanmar, can throw off the control of the global regime and achieve their own sovereignty, and they're being backed by this new emerging alliance of nations, then that certainly means it's possible for us to get rid of this illegitimate administration, this fake president, this illegitimate government. And it's going to be possible for Brazil to do the same thing. We are already at advanced stages of that process. It just doesn't look like it based on the public narrative coming from the mainstream media as all of this takes place. But we see it happening in other countries around the world. The same playbook was used against them, and it is all backfiring. The global regime is losing ground everywhere, and they are losing control everywhere. This is how we see it. If these countries are able to do it, of course the U.S. can do it. The process is not being stopped in these countries with military force from the global regime. They're failing to do it in Ukraine, the only place where they are really attempting it. Their plan is not succeeding around the world, which means it cannot succeed. The plan is for global domination. They are losing assets, not increasing their assets. They're not growing closer to global domination. It is increasingly just becoming impossible for them to ever achieve it. That is what we are witnessing around the world. And if we want to preserve America as a sovereign nation and want to remain sovereign individuals, then we should take heart in the experience of these nations because it can be done and it will be done and the global regime is falling apart. I will be back hopefully tomorrow, not necessarily tomorrow, but hopefully tomorrow at the same reasonable time, although probably later on the same reasonable podcast network, but I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 